Again, it's our privilege to have Pastor Sam Hutchins with us this evening. And I think many of, uh, actually some of you were, um, were there at, in Christchurch, quite particularly early on when, when Warren and Coco moved over there, and the work really started to begin. And um, many of you went a week or two at a time and, and did some outreach and, and just tried to strengthen the brethren over there. And as you know, there was a bit of a, um, a time where they didn't have a pastor, and for, for those years, we had been praying for, um, for their church. And I was telling Brother Hutchins this, um, this afternoon, we were having lunch, you know, from time to time, I heard his name and prayed for him over that, the course of that, and it's just good to, to now meet him and, and get to know he and his family, and what an answer to prayer that the church will continue there in, in Christ Church. And so we're glad for that as a church, knowing the, the journey, and glad that you're there now as the Lord has uh, led you there. And uh, Brother, preach for us tonight, and we're glad to have you. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 5 tonight. Matthew chapter 5. Good to see each and every one of you here. Good decision. The first Wednesday night uh, of the year, at least the first Wednesday that you have your Bible service tonight. You're in church. That's a good thing. It's good to see you. And thanks for being here this evening. Thankful for the opportunity to speak and uh, to bring you a message from the Word of God tonight. Um, just take a quick second to introduce my family to you. As pastor's already said, my name is Sam. My wife is Juliana, sitting over here. And we've got two little girls. The older one with the blonde hair is Emma. The younger one with the red hair is Alexa. Odds are you'll hear from them at some point during the service tonight as well, okay? So just uh, be prepared. Alexa especially, she holds true to her red-headed uh, persona. Um, my mother is a redhead, and she always told me redheads are infamously short-tempered. And Alexa is infamously short-tempered, okay? So if you hear her scream tonight, just ignore her. Um, she'll be all right, and uh, we'll, we'll get her taken care of. But uh, we're glad to be here tonight. Like Pastor said, we're ministering over in Christchurch, New Zealand. <clears throat> As you can probably tell by my thick Kiwi accent, New Zealand is where I'm from. Uh, and that's obviously not true. No, we've only been there for two years. In fact, two years this past Monday since we moved to New Zealand. And uh, I grew up in the uh, American state of Texas. And I came here from California and uh, been now in New Zealand, like I said, for about two years. My wife and I have been married for about seven years. In fact, that anniversary is coming up as well in just a couple of days. We'll hit seven years. And uh, we love doing what God has called us to do. Those of you who've been to our church in Christchurch, I wasn't there when you came. Uh, but you might remember the building that they were in, uh, the old Presbyterian church that was right there on the busy street corner. Uh, that building is no longer. Um, the Presbyterian church that occupied that building folded about two months before I arrived. That meant we got to use the building almost exclusively. It was almost like it was our building for a good six months. It was really nice. We were able to do whatever we wanted. We could have special services, our own schedule. We weren't dancing around anybody else's schedule. And the Presbyterian church said, oh, you know, we'd really love to see this building stay a church which is why a few weeks later they sold it to a developer in Auckland for $1.2 million and kicked us out. And so uh, their words did not match their actions, and uh, we had to find another place pretty quickly. We ended up <clears throat> in an Assemblies of God church. They were using it in the morning, and we've been using it in the afternoon for the past 18 months. It's in an industrial district. Uh, we're off in a bunch of warehouses. In fact, the building we're in is a converted warehouse now. And uh, kind of hard to find us, to be honest with you. It doesn't look like a church building at all. 
And it's not in any kind of a neighborhood. And on Sundays, nobody really drives down those streets. They're there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, but we're not during business hours. And so we've kind of felt invisible for the last 18 months. We've been doing our best to not be invisible, getting out into the community and doing a lot of the things that your church does, letterboxing, door knocking, putting some stuff up on Facebook and the internet, trying to get some attention there, having some community barbecues. And I'm thankful to say that the Lord's not hindered by what we would consider to be hindrances. Uh, And in the past 18 months, we've seen people saved. We've had a high day. We usually have about 60 in our services on Sunday. We've had a high day of 110 in the last 18 months. So God can still work, even if you're not in an ideal situation. All of that, though, to say, we've put in an offer on a new building, and it's been accepted. And so we're in the conditional period on our new building right now. Um, In fact, the closing date is supposed to be the 31st of this month. And so we're in a really exciting time period right now, and if you'd pray for us, I'd really appreciate it. We have an engineer going in next uh, week, and that's a big moment for us, because in post-earthquake Christchurch, you just don't know where the buildings stand, or how they stand, or if they will continue to stand, okay? So uh, we want to make sure that if we have an earthquake during a Sunday service, we have a moderate chance of survival, Uh, and so we're going to get an engineer in there. Uh, plus, the bank said it has to meet a certain criteria or they're not going to finance our, our, our purchase. So uh, we'd really appreciate your prayers with regards to that. The next few weeks are really crucial, and hopefully by the 31st of January, we'll go unconditional on that sale, and we'll be moving in a couple of weeks after that. So it's really exciting. That building is in the middle of a neighborhood. It does look like a church building, and it has more space than we know what to do with at the size we're at right now. So we're just going to do our best to fill it up and see what God does uh, throughout the next few years. So that's kind of what's going on at Lighthouse Baptist Church, Christ Church, for those of you who've been over there before. If you've not been over there before, New Zealand is beautiful. Take a holiday, go visit, and come and see us while you're there, okay? And if I find out that you took a holiday and didn't come visit, I will be personally offended, uh, and I won't appreciate it very much, okay? So come and see us. We'd love to see you, and uh, we, we would welcome you uh, anytime. Matthew chapter number five is where we're going to be tonight. And I want to preach just a a simple thought to you this evening from verses 14, 15, and 16. Let's read those verses. Matthew 5, 14, 15, 16 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want to preach a simple message to you tonight that I've entitled, Shine. Let's pray, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless our time in your word this evening. I pray that you would help us to hear exactly what we need to hear. And I pray that it would give us something that here on the threshold of a new year, we could take forward uh, with excitement and with passion. And I pray that you would help this church and my church and all believers around the world to shine brightly for you in 2020. And I pray that what we learned tonight would encourage us in that. I pray it would challenge us in that. I pray it would clarify some things for us to help us to know what you expect from us in this area of shining the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to take all the things we hear tonight from your word and may we apply them to our lives and may we be better for it in your service in the days to come. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm kind of cheating a little bit tonight. I've preached this message before. You ever done that before, Pastor? Yeah, okay, so good. I'm not the only one. This was actually the theme for our church in 2019, Shine. So I preached this message to our church in January of last year, 
And over the last 12 months, I felt like it has helped our church and it's helped me personally a lot more than I even thought that it possibly could. And so I think these three verses are crucial for every Christian to have an understanding of. And though shine is not your theme, it doesn't have to be your theme, the principles and the truths that are in these scriptures, I think can be a help to you tonight if you'll let them be a help to you. The passage that we're reading here in Matthew chapter 5 takes place in the north of the nation of Israel, near the Sea of Galilee. On the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee is the town of Capernaum. And about a kilometer to the northwest of Capernaum, there's a small mountain that if you were to visit Israel today, tour guides would point out as the Mount of Beatitudes. And the Mount of Beatitudes is credited as being the location of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which takes place in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the three verses that we read tonight are a small portion of that Sermon on the Mount. Tonight I want to study this short passage concerning the shining of our light to this world in an attempt to come to a better understanding of what Jesus was teaching his disciples and as a result what he is teaching us as well. There are three types of statements in this passage. The first one is a declarative statement. Ye are the light of the world. The second one is a comparative statement. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. The third statement is an imperative statement, a command. Ye are, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In the declarative statement, the comparative statement, and the imperative statement, there are three truths for us to learn tonight. And so let's dive into this passage and let's look at these three statements and see what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and what he's trying to teach us from Matthew 4 or 5, verses 14 through 16. Let's look at the declarative statement first of all. In order to understand the nature of the declarative statement, you have to understand to whom the statement is addressed. A declarative statement is a statement of fact, and Jesus is making a statement of fact about a particular group of people. And so to whom is the statement addressed? If you go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter number 5, actually back up to Matthew chapter number 4, verse number 24, you'll see this said about Jesus. His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. So the end of chapter number four establishes for us that Jesus's popularity was growing. It was growing quickly. It was growing the way you might imagine it would grow when people begin to hear that, hey, the lame are beginning to walk again, the blind are beginning to see, those that were deaf are beginning to hear, those that are mute are beginning to speak. There's a miracle worker, and so the fame is beginning to grow, and the crowds are beginning to amass, and they're following Jesus everywhere he goes. He doesn't really get much of a break from this following of the multitudes for the next couple of years, but it seems as though if you'll study the scriptures, and you guys are studying Luke this year, I think you'll notice this, that just about every time the Bible begins to mention the multitudes coming together and the multitudes beginning to follow Jesus, he does something to kind of separate himself a little bit, put a little distance between him and the multitudes. And this is on purpose because he separates with a group of people, his disciples. Look at the beginning of Matthew chapter number five. 
And seeing the multitudes, they're growing, they're amassing, they're kind of swarming him a little bit. He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then the Sermon on the Mount begins. Now, a lot of times we think of the Sermon on the Mount as being a sermon that was addressed to a great following of people. But in fact, what the Bible is teaching us is that while the multitudes were following Jesus, he uh, made an effort to separate himself from the multitudes and to teach his disciples in this moment so that then they would know how they are to behave themselves around the multitudes. So in reality, this teaching that Jesus was making now in chapters 5, 6, and 7 was not to the multitudes that were following him. It was to the 12 men that he had called to follow him. It was addressed to believers, addressed to disciples. John Phillips put it this way, that the Sermon on the Mount was spoken into the ear of the church, but it was overheard by the world. And there on the Mount of Beatitudes, Jesus comes to his disciples, and in verse number 14, he makes a declarative statement, a statement of fact. Ye are the light of the world. And so as we get started tonight looking at this declarative statement, we see that it's addressed to believers I just want to point out that the statement that Jesus addressed to his disciples there on the Mount of Beatitudes to the north of Capernaum applies to the Southland Baptist Church of Sydney as well. Ye are the light of the world. It applies to the Lighthouse Baptist Church of Christchurch. Ye are the light of the world. Ye is a plural form of you. All of you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are the light of the world. So we see it's addressed to believers, but it's descriptive of believers. Let's understand further what it means to be the light of the world. We know to whom Jesus is talking now, but what is he saying about them? Ye are the light of the world. Well, there are two primary words in that expression to help us understand what he means. The first one is the word light. The second one is the word world. The word light in the Greek is the word phos, and it means a literal light, okay? Much like the light that's coming from the, uh, the lights in the lamps tonight or the lights out in the streets or the light in your car. It means a literal light, but it can also mean and does mean many times a figurative light. We see a couple of examples where it's used in that way. First John chapter 1 and verse number 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John chapter 1 and verse number 5, speaking of Jesus, and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to be a witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. But then Jesus says later on in John chapter 5, speaking of John, he was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. And so when the Bible speaks of the word light, and it's not speaking of a literal sense, like the light of the sun or the light of a, a lamp or something like that, it's speaking of a spiritual light. And I think we understand what that means. The Bible speaks of the world being in spiritual darkness, right? That's what those verses were saying. And in contrast to the darkness, there comes the light. And so I think light could be defined this way simply tonight. It's spiritual truth. The devil has the world bound in spiritual darkness. That's the lies of Satan. The deception that started in the Garden of Eden 
and has perpetuated itself throughout the entire world for the history of this planet, that spiritual darkness, that spiritual deception in contrast to God himself. And God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so Jesus is saying, ye are the light. And then he says, you're the light of the world. That that word world there isn't speaking to the rock that we're sitting on tonight that's floating through space and orbiting around the sun. It's speaking to the inhabitants of that rock. It's speaking to the people that you walk by and the people who live in this city, the people who live in my city. So the Bible says, since we are a light of the world, the indication is that the world would be those who are alienated from Christ. Those who are in the light are those who are believers. Those who are in the darkness are those who are not. The Bible says that we are enemies of God until we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We become then children of God and we receive the light. So you got two types of people in the world, very literally, two types of people. Those in light, those in darkness. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, you are in light. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, you are in darkness. It's a very simple comparison between the two. And so Jesus is pointing out to the multitudes. Imagine, if you will, the Mount of Beatitudes and many multitudes of people gathered there. And Jesus says to his disciples, ye are the light of the world. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was that light. But once he gave that light to us, he passed the responsibility. He's in heaven. He's preparing a place for those who have placed their faith in him. And he says, now you're the light of the world. You know what that means? It means if anyone is going to see the light... It's going to have to come from us. They won't get spiritual light from the newspapers. They won't get spiritual light from the false religions. They won't get spiritual light from self-help books, financial freedom, and all those things are fine, but that's not where they're going to get light going to get it from you because ye are the light of the world you might say i don't want to be the light of the world tough luck (laughs) it's a statement of fact and when god gives a statement of fact let god be true and every man a liar ye are the light of the world it's not your own light it didn't start with you it didn't originate with you But make no doubt about it, now that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, now that God's Son has purchased you with His blood, ye are the light of the world. You can't run from it. You can't change it. You can't make it what it's not. You are the light of the world. Do we understand? It's a declarative statement, a statement of fact. And it's descriptive of believers. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Simply means God has taken the truth of the word of God, he's put it in your hands, and he said, you're the light of the world. So that's the declarative statement. It's addressed to believers. It's descriptive of believers. Let's move to the second statement, a comparative statement, starting at the end of verse number 14 and continuing through the entirety of Verse number 15. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 
Neither do men light a candle and put it on a bushel, but on a candlestick, <clears throat> and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now these next two statements, they have a period in the middle, but they're clearly linked by that word neither at the beginning of verse number 15. This is a comparative statement. Jesus has established a fact, ye are the light of the world, and now he compares two ways in which that light can be shown. One, a city that is set on a hill. The other, a candle that's set on a candlestick within a house. Let's talk about this city and what Jesus is trying to teach us. I call the city light the corporate light. It's the light that's a result of the shining of many lights together. There's a particular part of Christchurch that I love to take visitors to. If you come to Christchurch and I'm uh, getting to host you, I'll take you there because I think it's a beautiful spot, especially in June, July, and August with the snow-capped mountains off in the distance. This particular spot's in the south side of Christchurch. There are the Port Hills, and so it's elevated a little bit. And from this particular reserve, it's called the Craycroft Reserve. There's a platform there. You can see the Pacific Ocean over here. You can see the Southern Alps over here, and you can see everything in between. It's a magnificent view. I especially like to see what it looks like at night because at night you get to see all the lights of the city. Now, I was telling Brother, uh, Brother Hernan earlier today, one of the things uh, that you learn about Christchurch when you come to Sydney is how Christchurch isn't a very big city at all. <laughs> uh, it feels like a big city when you live there and you think, oh, I, all this traffic that I have to deal with, and then you realize it's not really traffic, right? You come to Sydney, oh, this is traffic. I moved, uh, moved to Christchurch from Los Angeles, and I've become, I've become uh, a sissy when it comes to these types of things, right? And so I came into Sydney yesterday, and oh, man, I forgot what it's like to be in a big city. But humor me for a second. Christchurch is a big city, okay? And there are lots of lights that you can see. Lots of different kinds of lights, street lights, car lights, house lights. Uh, the toll buildings and the CBD, they have lights, okay? There's some boats out on the ocean and the pier. You can see the lights from the pier in there. All different kinds of lights, and together they contribute to a greater light. Now, I think you probably understand where I'm going with this. The corporate light is a representation of the church. All different types of lights in the building tonight. All different types of people from all different types of backgrounds, with all different types of giftings, all different types of abilities, but all here together to take your individual lights, put them together, and shine corporately. You know your church has a responsibility to shine corporately, don't you? The Bible says in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. The ground is the foundation upon which it rests, the pillar is what holds it up. And God says the church is to be something that holds up the truth. And it should be that in this portion of Sydney, as people make their way to and fro past this church, that they not necessarily see a physical light, but that they see a spiritual light that comes because many different people are coming together and they're taking their lights and putting them together and shining that much more brightly as a corporate light. But then he goes on into verse number 15, and he speaks of the candle. And the candle's very important because it's the individual light. I think this probably goes without saying, but without the individual lights, there can be no corporate light. As I look out over the city of Christchurch, I'm looking at, who knows, tens of thousands of lights, probably. And if one of those lights was to go out, it might not make a lot of difference to my eye, but the light is a little bit dimmer. 
If more than one was to go out, the light would become more noticeably dimmer. If all the lights were to go out, it would be really noticeable. But it's important to understand that no matter how insignificant one light might seem, one light contributes to the brightness of the corporate light. And if the one light's gone, the corporate light is that much dimmer. The Bible says that we all have a role to fill in the church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're not going to take a lot of time to go down this road tonight because it's an entirely different sermon in and of itself. The Bible says that the body of Christ is made up of many different members. And those different members all have different roles to fulfill. And while we might feel as though we're not as important, if we are a member of the body of Christ, that means there's a role. There's a part of us or a part of the body that we are meant to fulfill. And if we're not doing what we are called to do, the body suffers. You might think that there are parts of your body that aren't as important, but try going home and cutting off your big toe and seeing how easy it is to stand up. You might think that sounds kind of funny, but that many of you probably already know that your big toe uh, contributes to your balance, to your equilibrium. Try cutting off your thumbs and picking something up tomorrow. We have these opposable thumbs that help us. And all these different parts of the body, the physical body, that God so miraculously designed to accomplish all these different things. We might think them insignificant, but they're all important. And if you're sitting here tonight, I'm here to tell you that you might not feel like you're important, but if you're a member of Southland Baptist Church, and if you have a light to shine, then shine that light because you are important to the mission of this church. But there's something else that Jesus points out about this light. He says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, naturally. A bushel was a bowl of about nine liters of measurement. Why would you take that and put it over a candle? It's not where it belongs. It's used for other things. It's not meant to hide the light. Jesus speaks to not hiding the light. But then look at the end of verse number 15. He says, put on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are where? In the house. So that speaks to the light not only shining to those who are without, but to the light to those who are within. Fathers, you have a light to shine to your children. Mothers, you have a light to shine to your children. You can't possibly believe that the three or four hours they spend in church is all that they need. Because guess what's going on outside of that three or four hours? Facebook, YouTube, their friends, billboards, advertisements. You can't shelter them from all of it. And I hope you do what you can to keep the, the evil influences that are out there to a minimum. But hey, they need your light. They need you to show them what it means to be a godly husband and a godly father. What it means to be a godly wife and a godly mother. They need to see you emphasizing the things of God and the things that are going on here at church. They need to see you excited about what's going on in your life spiritually. They need to see you reading your Bible. They need to see you praying. They need to see you witnessing. All of those things are you shining the light to someone who's within the house. And may we not get so excited about shining the light to everybody that's out there that we forget about the little ones that are right beside us that need that very same light. There's somebody else in the church probably that God is calling you to shine a light to. You may not realize it, but every single one of you in here tonight have influence with somebody. Someone is watching you, and what you do impacts what they do. If you're not faithful, it makes them feel like they don't need to be faithful. If they see you engaged in something that might cause them to stumble, 
they're going to feel like maybe it's okay and it's going to cause them to stumble. I mean, there's a lot of different ways we could go with this. I'm just simply saying, your light that you have, yeah, it's meant to shine outside, but it's doing a fair bit of shining on the inside as well. And Jesus says to his disciples, listen, I want you to take this light and I want you to shine it to those who are without the house, but I also want you to shine it to those who are within the house. And he's saying, you are the light of the world. That's an establishment of the fact, okay? You can't get away from it. You are the light of the world. And what you need to do with this light is you need to shine corporately as a church and you need to shine individually as a single believer in Christ. And that brings us to the third statement of the passage, the imperative statement. From verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He makes a declarative statement of fact. You're the light of the world. He makes a comparative statement. This is how you can shine. Corporately as a city that's set on a hill. Individually as a candle on a candlestick that giveth light unto all that are in the house. And knowing now the fact of the matter that you are the light of the world, knowing two different ways that you can focus on your shining, he gives a command. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Three admonitions in this, uh, in this can, uh, command here. Number one is to be bright. He says, let your light so shine. The word so means after this manner. So you look back to verses 14 and 15 and he's saying you are the light of the world. You are a city that's set on a hill. You are an individual candle. Do not hide that candle under a bushel, but let your light so shine. Be bright is what Jesus is saying. Don't just have the light. Shine the light. Don't just keep it to yourself. Don't put it on minimum setting, so to speak, to where you're just kind of a dull glow moving through society, but be bright. Shine it out there. Let people see it. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8 says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That word walk speaks to our conduct, our lifestyle. He says, now that you're a light, shine like a light. (laughs) Look like a light. May other people look at you and say something's different about that person because they are bright for the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 14, Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So to shine the light simply means to live as a child of the light. And light contrasts with darkness and your life should contrast with this world. There should be some differences. There should be some obvious differences between a Christian and someone who does not know Christ. And I don't say that to mean that we ought to be proud and that we ought to be haughty and that we ought to be uh, only focused on the exterior. I simply say that to say that light is different from darkness. Things that are different are not the same. So Jesus says, be bright. Then he says, be visible. He says in the second part of verse number 16, that they may see your good works. So get bright about being a Christian, but then be visible about being a Christian. And how are we to be visible? Through our good works. Now there's a balance to be struck here. In Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses later, verse number 1, Jesus says this, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, 
to be seen of them. And this kicks off a long passage of Jesus instructing his disciples to not get into the habit of doing things that are right so that other people can see you doing things that are right. Now that might seem contradictory. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. But by the way, guys, don't do right so that men can see your good works. How do we reconcile? The difference is is simply this. The hypocrite that Jesus warns about in Matthew chapter number 6 does right so that he might be noticed. The believer of Matthew chapter 5 does right because that's what light does. It's just part of his nature. Not part of his old nature, that's for sure. But part of that new nature that he has in Christ. He says, you know what, I'm going to do what's right because it's right. So when I'm at work, it's going to be obvious that I'm a Christian. Not because I'm walking around, uh, you know, strutting my stuff and being Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, but because, hey, I got the Spirit of God living in me, and that means I'm going to do what's right. I wonder... Do people at your work know that you're a Christian? Maybe kind of camouflage you in a little bit. I don't want to be too bright. Jesus, no, no, no. Let them see. Be bright. Be visible. Let them see your good works. You know, I would further that statement with this thought. Acts chapter number 11. Peter is witnessing and he's talking about Jesus Christ and he makes this statement. He says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power and he went about doing good. What is that referring to? That's referring to a lot of what verse or chapter number four was talking about. He healed the lame and he helped those who were blind to see and he helped those who were deaf to hear. Now you and I can't do that. But it simply highlights this truth, that part of the good that Jesus did was that he just cared about people. He saw them in their need, and he preached to them, yes. But he also cared for them. He saw someone who couldn't walk, and he said, let me meet this physical need, and then tell you about a spiritual need. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If we're not careful in our soul winning churches, and praise God for soul winning churches, the Lord knows we've got a lot of churches that don't do any kind of witnessing, any kind of light shining. I was looking at your brochure from your Vision Sunday several months ago, and boy, what a blessing to see a vision and a strategy for getting out there and shining the light. Praise the Lord for that. One of the hazards I believe we can fall into is that we get into a sales pitch mentality. I think you probably understand what I'm talking about. We've got four points, some Bible verses to go with them, and our whole mentality is let's just just shotgun people with this, right? And we never stop to care. We see somebody walking down the street, and they're in obvious pain, not physical pain, Emotional pain, spiritual pain. You know what they might need before you start the gospel at them? They might need you to put put your arm around them and just say, you know, I love you. Man, you might not be able to do a lot. You might not be able to give them 100 bucks to pay their bills. You might not be able to buy them a bag of food. You might not be able to do 
something like that. And if you can, and the Holy Spirit says do it, by all means, do it. But Jesus went about doing good, and that started with how he cared for people. When he lifted up his eyes and he saw the multitudes, the Bible says he had compassion on them. And I worry that a lot of times maybe the reason our light isn't shining so brightly is because we just don't care like we should. We live in a very me-first society, the selfie age, right? It's all about what's going on in my life and what's important to me, and I'll run over anybody who gets in the way. You've got to be careful about that. Jesus said one of the ways you're going to shine to people is you're going to let them see your good works. You're going to be visible. I wonder if there might be somebody that you walk across for the next couple of days, somebody that you come across that God's going to say, hey, go be visible. Go tell them, hey, I'm a Christian, and God told me to come over here and just do whatever I can. I'm going to love on you a little bit. I'll sit with you and listen to you. If there's nothing else I can do, I can do that much. But I want you to know that I care about you. So he says, be visible. Let people see you and your good works. Then he gives a third admonition, and we close with this. He says, be reflective, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Remember I said earlier that the light that you shine didn't start with you? So don't take credit for it. It's not your light. (laughs) Boy, man. People, oh, wow, you're a great person. Well, I try. What? (laughs) Does the Bible say anything about trying to be a good person? Does anybody have anything that comes to mind when you say something like that? Trying to be a good person. It fails every time. Any good that's in you came from your Father through Jesus Christ. So let them glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Be reflective. When I was a kid, I thought it would be awesome to be an astronaut. I don't know, it's one of those little kid things, right? And I used to read books about the stars and the planets and the moon. I followed with interest Pluto's demotion to not being a planet and then re-promotion to being a planet. I'm not really sure what it is right this minute, but just kind of keeping an eye on these things. But here's one of the things that's always fascinated me the most. Say you were to go out on a night with a full moon, no clouds, You could probably walk across a dark field with no other lights on the night with a full moon because it's that bright. If you've ever gone camping, maybe you've been out in the middle of nowhere, there's no artificial light around you, you don't have a torch, car light's not on, anything like that. You You can see around because the moon is bright. But the moon's not bright. The moon is a light, or is a non light giving object, it's just a rock in the sky. The light that you see, and you know this already, on a full moon, is not the moon's light, it's the sunlight. It's reflective. And in a dark world that we live in, people ought to see our light and say, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) What's that all about? You know what we ought to say right away? That's not my light. (laughs) God's over there. Man, he has shown into my life. You're just seeing a reflection. That's all you're seeing. Glorify him. So Jesus says, let your light shine brightly 
and visibly, but be reflective. Make sure that they know where the light comes from. In John chapter 3 and verse number 30, John simply said this, He must increase, but I must decrease. And oh, that that would be our prayer as we shine for Christ. Three simple statements. Ye are the light of the world. That is a statement of fact. You cannot get away from it. It's the truth. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ tonight, ye are not the light of the world. Boy, I'd encourage you tonight to get that settled. It's a Wednesday night. I know that this is probably the group that most likely everyone's saved. But if you're not, sure would be a shame to be in a place where so much light is shining and not see Jesus Christ in all of that. But believers, probably most of us tonight, you are the light of the world. You might say, well, I don't want to be the light of the world. Get over it. <laughs> you are the light of the world. Southland Baptist Church, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid. May your church be like that city to where people who are in a dark, dark world look off in the distance and they see a cluster a group of individuals like yourself who come from all different backgrounds and all different uh, uh, stories of where you came from and how you grew up and when you got saved, but you're all shining together. And may they, as they draw closer to that corporate light, see candles, individual lights, that are not only shining to those that are without these walls, but also to those who are within these walls. And as they grow closer to you and they see those candles, may they notice that you are shining brightly. May they notice that you are shining visibly. And perhaps most importantly, may they see your light and be redirected to something else. And may they see the light of Christ in him, through you. And I hope in 2020 you'll make the decision that you're going to shine the way that Jesus commanded us to shine. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, these three verses. And Lord, they've spoken to our hearts tonight. I pray that you would take your word and do the work that only your Holy Spirit can do now. And help us, Lord, to make the decisions we need to make. I don't doubt that perhaps there's somebody in here tonight who's saying, you know what, I don't really want to shine. I'm, I'm nervous about that. I'm uh, worried about what people might say. I'm worried about being ridiculed. Lord, I pray that you'd help me put those reservations in the past and just realize they are the light of the world. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them to realize that they have a responsibility to shine both individually and corporately. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them to make the decision tonight to shine brightly, to shine visibly, and to shine reflectively. May you use this church, may you use our church, may you use every Bible-believing church on this planet to shine more brightly for you in the days to come. The greater the night, and Lord, we are entering into some of the darkest night that this world has ever seen, but the greater the night, the brighter the light can shine. And may you help us to shine brightly in the days to come. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work that he needs to do in our hearts. And may we be receptive to him and obedient to him. And may we walk out of here having made the decisions we need to make. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor, you come.